So welcome to a very special work stoppage interview. I'm here with Lena, of course, and we're interviewing uh, our very good friend and guest, Eric. Eric, if you want to say hi. Hi. Eric is a union organizer who works um, out in California, right? And uh, uh, helps unionize uh, gig economy workers and and all kinds of good stuff like that. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks. Actually, yeah, Eric, would you like to do like a kind of an introduction? Tell us a little bit about like, was I know that you actually do a little bit more than just like that and you have a a history of organizing other things. You want to just like tell us a little bit about yourself? Because we'd love to hear it. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Eric Dreiberg. Um, I have been a union organizer for almost nine years now. Wow, it's been a long time. Wow. Um, and uh, I started as a union organizer uh, working in uh, the retail wholesale department store union. Um, I organized retail workers, workers in, you know, part of the supply chain and, you know, a bunch of small shops all throughout New York City. Um, Alina and I met while I was organizing a guitar center, uh, the very large national mm-hmm. musical instrument uh, retail chain. Um, mm-hmm. we were successful in organizing a series of shops and getting a first, uh, first contract. We were technically um, successful in organizing the shop that I was in, <laughs> although I wouldn't, not in the long run, there's, is, there's more technical details to it than that, <laughs> but yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it was organized, but they are not benefiting from the contract, unfortunately. Right. Um, right. and you know, that is, you know, that segues really nicely into the last stuff we're going to talk about today because, uh. You know, Guitar Center spent millions of dollars in uh, like a national union busting campaign to, you know, uh, dissuade and unorganize workers um, from, you know, joining the union. Yeah. Uh, But after I left the retail workers union, I uh, joined the transport workers union. I organized bike share and, uh, you know, workers in the transport uh, transportation industry uh, for a couple of years. And then recently I started working for Rideshare Drivers United. So I am a, uh, technically I'm, I guess, the field director for Rideshare Drivers United. And um, okay, right. it is, wow. awesome. it is the, the state in California is the largest uh, like union of Rideshare Drivers. So um, That's awesome because I've been hearing from so many people that like, you know, oh, unions are really great and everything, but with the way that things are moving towards the gig economy, it's like not feasible anymore or it's like facing unprecedented challenges. And like, it does certainly seem harder to organize gig workers, but it's very reassuring to hear that there's large organizations out there who are proving that it's very possible. Yeah, definitely. I think during the coronavirus, uh, organizing has definitely like kind of take has taken a different form but uh Mm -hmm. you know it's still about contacting and still about like uh you know building relationships with your coworkers. um so you know fortunately enough in california there's probably like half a million you know rideshare drivers or you know food delivery drivers so there's a lot of people to be talking to um Unfortunately, without like being able to like have meetings and meet people meet people in person, uh, you kind of lose part of the that like you know the the energy and the ability to build good relations you know strong relationships with people. Right. It's being done over Zoom and telephone. I was going to say, do you do a lot of video conferencing or is it just a lot of phone calls? Absolutely, yeah. We like we're like on yeah we're on Zoom all the time. Okay. Yeah. I just remember when we were doing some organizing and uh it was a lot of like hey let's have a meal together let's like let's sit down and 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 share like a, an experience in the same like environment and uh talk about what's going on and and I think that yeah that is a little bit tougher when you when you're not actually able to like sit down and look people in the eyes like directly I can imagine that being like a, an interesting barrier uh to to connecting with people um, also, just like people's distraction levels. I mean, sitting and like, are people truly engaged while um, looking at their screen, or are they, you know, doing something else in the background? Whereas, like in person, you're able to kind of be in the moment. Yeah, right. You can command the room a little bit better when you're not on a video call, uh, for sure. A little easier to get your friends' attention when they're sitting across from you at the Golden Corral. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, but um, so 
Today, we are actually going to, we're not really going to be talking too much about uh, gig workers. We're actually going to be going over some of the details of like what union busting means, uh, what it looks like, some of the tactics that um, businesses will use in order to keep you from organizing, and what to look out for, um, and ways to kind of uh, combat that. Is that right, Eric? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So you kind of gave us a little bit of an outline uh, before we went on mic about what uh, the different parts are. And um, you said the three different parts were one, uh, misinformation, two, um, the give us another chance appeal. Uh, Oh, well, not, I don't want to use the word appeal because the third part is actually emotional appeal slash manipulation. And I think that that would be a really great place to kind of start because and this is this common like that it almost always goes in the step one two and three no there's really no chronological order to any of it uh depending on how uh like organized your like the employer's side is um right yeah you might get like bits and pieces at the same time you might get them at different times yeah the order is like you know it's uh it's not the same every time and that's okay. what makes organizing during a union busting campaign so difficult. So that's why, like, today, uh, you know, for years now, like, you know, uh, the goal of when you're organizing is you always want to, you want to at some point keep things secretive. And then as you build enough support within whatever workplace you're organizing, uh, you, when you go public or when the organizing uh, is, you know, you're speaking about it much more uh, publicly in the workplace, um, you can inoculate and like build defenses towards the union busting. Um, but if you're, if you, if you announce that you're organizing a union before you actually have organized your union, uh, these tactics will n- definitely ensure that you will not have a unionized workplace. Right, because like if a, a manager or somebody pulls you to the side and they start feeding you misinformation, asking for another chance, and and then making emotional appeals, and you haven't already been in like a union meeting kind of setting with your coworkers and talked about what's important and talked about the way that the bosses are going to lie to you and and you know made sure that you're actually getting the kind of demands that you're asking for then it's going to be really easy for people who maybe don't have like a labor education to be like oh yeah actually my boss is making a lot of sense I'll just go along with what they're saying yeah and uh, yeah right and also it's like the the difference is yeah like uh, with once the union busting starts, let's say, you know, let's take misinformation, for example, right? So mm-hmm. a, a bunch of factors that, like, make, mis- well, make, make, make misinformation so effective is, um, you know, let's take the captive audience meeting, which is, like, the, are- the area where, you know, it's a gathering where companies and employers use to, like, spread the most misinformation. Um, mm-hmm. They're captive audience meetings, so you're paid during that time, right? And one of the difficulties with organizing is that when you're organizing a union people's commitment to like build a union and to you know improve their workplace um that doesn't you don't get paid for that time so you have to be doing that time like you know um out of work um you know late night meetings uh, before work meetings uh lunch break phone calls and meetings i mean uh and you have to be doing that all on your personal time if you're trying to organize a union and you haven't like built a committee or start talking to your coworkers, but with this or getting commitment from them, once the union busting starts, then you're working like against the clock to try to get like to speak to people about why organizing is important. Meanwhile, your employer is already like, you know, sucking up all the air. And, right. you know, the, the, the point of this union busting is not really to prove to workers that a union is bad necessarily. It's to, I mean, you want, they want that of course, but the real thing is they, if they can't make a convincing argument why it's bad to unionize, then they want to exhaust you and all the all your coworkers from talking about the union. Oh, and they definitely do. When we were going through those captive audience meetings, I mean, it was literally like they had a union buster on like the shop floor from basically open to almost close every single day, trying to talk to people and uh, constantly. So, so it is 
exhausting, even if you're like really pro union and you're really about it, constantly talking about it can still wear on you. I mean, I, I personally love mm-hmm. talking about it, and I'm sure you do too, Eric. But when it comes to like people who are not as constantly engaged in these topics, they it does become kind of like a, a stress on them, and to to have like a, a battle going on of sorts can can definitely wear people down which is exactly what they're trying to do through these, not only these meetings, but like the constant bombardment of like conflicting uh, information or, or misinformation specifically. And, um, and I, I just remember I was going to do that and like literally also misinformation trying to um, like pit workers against each other. One of the things that we faced were basically lies about our coworkers to basically try and put us against each other. That also happened. Um, but I'll, I'll let you continue. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you, your experiences are directly right. And I mean, um, I, you know, I, I can even, we can even talk more about that. I mean, as you recollect, like when the organizing started, I mean, your store, I believe wasn't even, wasn't very large. I mean, I think it started with like 20 people. And by the time we actually had have the, no, it was probably like 25 people. But by the time we had the union election, it was like 21 people. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, you know, I remember the first time I ever uh, met you, Alina, and your coworkers, uh, I think five of us met at like a breakfast spot in Pittsburgh. And uh, it took us a long time. It took us, you know, a pretty long time to like have all the really, all the conversations we needed to have, have all the commitments, commitments we need to have with people. And um, I think you're, you remember this. Yeah, but, you're um, reminding me of like, I think that you pulled cards out at the first meeting and I told you to put them away. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because because I was like, I don't think the people are ready for this. Like, we all want to have this conversation, and we're all here to have this conversation. And like, looking back, I definitely like I was learning. I was learning. This was some of my early uh, radicalization. But yeah. <laughs> so you know, to circle back to um, the with the misinformation and why it's important not to like you know bring up the organizing too early is because even with this uh, shop that had you know, five to six people who were really passionate, passionate, committed to organizing. Um, it took us probably three months to get towards an election. And even with that, uh, it was about having those conversations with each other, but also like, um, building a sense of unity and unionism in a space that like has been totally co-opted by like the boss's talking points and the boss's way of framing things. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, I think there were like three people we didn't talk to, but they like, uh, because they were empowered by a union buster and they were given a lot of like freedom to speak to whoever they wanted to make phone calls, you know, do all kinds of this, all the stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, our support, you know, uh, we, we lost supporters, you know, people, people were on the fence. People really got, uh, you know, duped by, um, the union busting. And, um, you know, misinformation is probably the most important, I mean, probably the most, like, uh, relatable or most, like, um, what's it called, like, widely used uh, tactic, because right, right. Um, it's based, some of the things they say are based on truth. Right. So, like, what, the, what, and, you know, this Can we go start- into some of the details of, like, some of, like, like, even pieces of misinformation that they would use? Yeah, and like you know, I think it's important to talk about two things before you know as we get into misinformation. One is that employers are not like trained or like they they don't alone have the resources to fight a union organizing campaign. Like some right. huge companies that hire like HR firms that like have people in union avoidance, they have union avoidance avoidance experience, like Verizon or like uh, Apple they probably have people on payroll who are like active union busters. However, like your traditional, your like, you know, standard national retailer might not. Walmart probably does, but a guitar center at the time, even though they have like almost at the time they had like 250 stores, they did not have like a union buster like on like staff. So what that requires them to do is to seek these firms out. They call themselves union avoidance firms. Persuaders. Yeah, or labor management firms. Oh my god. And um, they, you know, uh, they charge absorbent amount of money. I mean, we're talking like 300 to, you know, uh, $500 a day. Um, 
for, you know, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, an hour for their work. Um, some of them have like, uh, uh, like incentives where they're like work for, you know, um, one sum of money, but if they are uh, sufficient in like, you know, keeping the union out of the workplace, they'll get a bonus. Um, and these rates are, are, you know, very, very high. Uh, and it's, you know, all this money could be spent towards, you know, improving working conditions, but instead employers will use it to, you know, ensure that a union won't come into the workplace or won't be organized. Yeah, I mean, um, if you have a staff of like only a few dozen people and you're spending 300 to $500, what did you say, an hour on avoiding the union? It's like, I don't even understand in terms of internal logic how that's more desirable. It seems like they should they should just allow the union and give the workers what they want. But I guess that sets a precedent that means that like workers can continue to ask for more of what they deserve. Right. Right. And, um, you know, the second part, uh, on top of like employers not knowing how to do this is that, uh, the people that they hire are also a lot of times former union organizers. So these are people who once organized unions, but now are, you know, uh, you know, I guess for like a Star Wars reference, they like join the dark side, you know? Yeah. Top 10 anime betrayals, basically. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, the so so the 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 union busters the people who are formerly union organizers who help develop and create the tactics and the information the misinformation to you know fight off union organizing it's complicated it's hard because they are they know a lot about union organizing they know a lot about what union organizers are going to say and um it, they if they're successful if they're really good what they'll successfully do is they'll make the union election process and the union organizing process, they make it, they're going to make it feel like an election where there's a right side and a wrong side. That's Uh, what, that's the, that's the, like, uh, the play they want to create. Yeah. Well, because it lets them double down on corporate authority, right? It kind of is like a, a way of saying like, look, here's the status quo and here's like labor organizing is the devil you don't know. Don't you want to just stick with what you have now? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yes. And like, and they want to make it seem that like both scenarios um, have their wins and have their, lo- their losses. Like they're, they're both compromised. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, there's, you know, the damned if you do, damned if you don't. But right. um, that is, that's not that's not correct. That's that's them spinning reality and them create uh, putting putting the organizing on a path where then the way the, the way to win or the way to try to win is basically you're holding your breath the entire time. So like you know where I was organizing in retail and mostly in an industry that has very low union density. Like what our job was was to build with the committee, uh, develop like you know, inoculate and keep people really, really committed and strong, and for them to see what the union busters were doing and get them like committed to seeing when that play was being scripted. So we would establish like trust and like people would understand that like what's happening is they're being manipulated, and then that would further um, you know embolden them to vote for their union. Um, but that all that process it's not um, an escalatory process. It like, doesn't like, you don't, you're not like growing and building a support through the union busting. You're just holding your committee and holding your coworkers tight. And I mean, Alina, I'm sure, you know, if you'd like to talk more about it, like, do you remember like the buddy system and all the things that we did like, you know, two weeks before the election? Um, vaguely. I mean, that was quite a while ago. I think that you're referring to like us, like talking to each other. Oh, and we were trying to talk to, um, people who we didn't necessarily know were yes votes when if we were, um, people who needed more information, people we wanted to talk to people we thought that we could connect with people that, um, we would be better at communicating with because I know that one of the things that I struggled with at that moment is that there were people who did not like me. And, um, and I, I've had that problem most of my life. So I, I think that uh, I ended up getting paired with someone who was kind of neutral, but um, there are, there were other people on the organizing committee that were, um, that were a little bit more like able to speak with some of the more, anti-union-ish people and so is that is that what you're referring to 
Yes. So like, that's like part of the mapping we did, but like, yeah. And then like right before the election, we like uh, broke people out and made sure people like were checking in with each other to like, you know, like each, every other day or after captive audience meetings to basically like firm people up and make sure that they knew what the company was doing was telling lies. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, like, you had like a blow by blow plan for like any time the company is going to make some kind of advancement towards avoiding the union, or you know, even just like after the stress builds up within any individual worker after a couple of days of work, it's important to have other pro union folks reach out to them and reaffirm their convictions and, and reaffirm the necessity and, and the advantages of forming the union. Right. Yes, exactly. And, and this, that's cool. This reminds me of something that we were we struggled with because um we where we were um organizing it was against the, you had uh, what like a two party consent for recording state which basically meant that you couldn't secretly record people uh-huh. um and and so what I think is really important for people to know is like know those laws like know that if you record someone it might be illegal. Like don't, and like, you know, whatever you want to do, but like, that's, you know, just be very aware of like what is allowed and what is not, because if for some reason you were to get caught doing something like that, it would be very bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think that, um, bosses, you know, and and that's the thing about the union busters too is that like, as they get closer to the union election, like the day, the day of the union election, um, if they're if they feel like they're going to lose, as far as back to your your the thing you're bringing up about the law, uh, right. employers will outright just break the law. Yeah, right. So so like that's what they'll do if the and the, and the thing is the way that and the, the problem with the enforcement is like a, a, you know back to Alina's point is that like when it comes to workers violating the law. Um, as you know, they, they use the law to scare workers, right? They use right. the law to be like, oh, you can't hold a picket sign there. Oh, you can't record that captive audience meeting. Oh, you can't, you know, say that thing during the meeting. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, that it's just intimidation, right? Because then at the end of the day, like they will, the employer will break the law. If they, right. if yeah. they think they're going to lose the union election, they'll just break the law and then pay the fines later. We're sk- we're skipping to part three, I think, by accident. Well, I was going to say, like, because <laughs> em- employers have a much higher level of impunity from like the law, basically. Like, if you catch your employer breaking the law and you call the police on them, there's a really good chance that fucking nothing is going to come of it. But if your employer catches you breaking the law and they call the police on you, you're going to jail. Right. Right. Well, and union yeah. and union busters will use that. Right. They'll use that to their advantage. They'll say that. Look, this is another uh, demonstration of how the union is, you know, not a democratic organization. They're thugs. They're corrupt, um, <laughs> and they're willing to break the law. Yeah, and I think that what you just said is really important. Like, we do need to point out that this is about democratizing the workplace. And yeah, absolutely. Like yes. this whole process. Um, sorry, yes, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but <laughs> well, it, it's like nonsensical to hear an employer say that a union is not really a democratic organization when c- corporations are so obviously top-down autocratic organizations in the first place. It's like compared to that, almost anything could be considered democratic. Yeah, and th- th- this goes back to the thing I was, uh, the thing we were talking about earlier, was like if the union buster is able to successfully create the play or the the narrative that there's a right, a right side and a wrong side, or that both decisions have consequences, then back to Alina's point, then you have like the, the point, the process of democratizing the workplace. There's nothing wrong with that. There are no consequences to that. Like that's not, that's like that, 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 that is not something that's like, uh, like, uh, you know, needs to be like morally like investigated. So, right. so, so that is why, like, when you're organizing that, you need to keep your eye, like, on, on that goal and, like, keeping people talking about, it's about having, like, uh, you know, respect, dignity, d- democracy, like, the, the, the agency to make these choices as a, as a collective. Like, that's what a union is. Right. Um, so I do think that we should get back on on the misinformation points and like what uh what that because I know that we're, we're it's so easy to go into the details of of and get distracted by like but I 
want to kind of talk a little bit more about like what sorts of misinformation people would see in a union busting campaign. Um, uh, so the the things that that make union busting so good or so successful with misinformation is that that the everything they say has a has like a little partial truth to it. So, right. um, for example, like they'll say, "Oh, did you know a union can force you to go on strike?" So, in the history of the United States and the history of the labor movement, there have been uh, thousands of strikes in the United States. We and have them every all the one time of them, here. Ha- yeah, and have every one of them been de- you know uh, democratically voted on, and people haven't been pressured to go on strike? No, of course not. There always are like some outliers where it's like strikes went really bad, right? Or, or, or a strike went really bad. And like maybe people were not really brought into the process the way they should be, right? Um, so union busters will always like go to like this one, t- one case example where things went really, really bad. And the same thing for unions is that you think of unions as uh, like uh, as individual institutions by like their brand or you like kind of like select them as companies. Yeah, then there are some good unions and some bad unions. But that's also where, like, you don't want to be taking this conversation. The conversation is about, is the principle of having democracy and having a union good? So they'll talk about strikes. uh, They'll talk about dues. They'll talk about uh, how contracts are negotiated and how, like, workers won't be involved in that process. Which is Um, literally a lie. I I sat at the table. We were involved in the process. (laughs) Right. Yeah, well, and the dues thing is, it's like they'll they'll tell you, oh, the union's going to make you pay dues, but then they don't explain that that's going to be grossly outweighed by all of the additional benefits and like salary protections and all of the other stuff that union's going to grant you. It's kind of like how when everybody talks about, oh, Bernie's fucking healthcare for all plan would cost too much. It's like, well, not once you consider the amount of money it's also going to save or protect. You know, it's just like it's very very short sighted kind of. Uh, logic yes and uh, and it's always based on like the worst case scenario stuff that's like where they really get the hook right it's always yeah and and it's not about um like how they don't they're never gonna like highlight the successes right one other thing they might do i mean they do as well as they they talk about like unions as being like a moment in history where they'd be like, yeah, like during the time of like child labor and like slavery, of course we needed unions, but like unions are outdated and we don't need them anymore. Yeah, we, um, we, we won the, the, the 40 hour work week. I'm sure everybody loves the 40 hour work week. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's really uh, C Corps, S Corps, and LLCs that are outdated, but that's just me. That's just one man's opinion. <laughs> yeah, and you know, all of this is to like the misinformation in the very beginning is to kind of like stress test like a few things, right? Like, the goal of what they're, they're saying is not really what the facts are in the in the misinformation. It's about testing the organizing committee and your coworkers to see how much they know about unions already. And also, as an and a, like sometimes people in the organizing committee, like if they're depending on how the committee is trained to like go into the captive audience meetings, like some like traditional organizing is to like win the the physical like space, right? To like win those arguments to demonstrate to the employer that they're wrong, that they don't know what they're talking about. However, that also like shows the employer, like your strength, right? It shows them like, Oh, well, who are the unions of organizers who are not supportive of the union? Who are the people who are quiet? Who are the people who might look a little scared during those meetings? And they want to use all that information because look, the both, both like groups, the union organizing committee and the like workers that are organizing and the uh, employers, union busters and HR firms, uh, they're using the same things, but they do very different things. Uh, the, the, the using of relationships to build unity is the union and the workers, and the using of relationships to tear people apart and keep people divided is the other side's agenda. So um, misinformation, it's like the things they'll say, I mean, I can, we can go down the entire Rolodex of all these things. Yeah. If you're like, you look up anything like on Google, you'll see there's like so much good information out there these days. I think that, you know, people been, who've been doing organizing at CWA, uh, UFCW, uh, SEIU, there's a lot of great information out there uh, about, like, the tactics employers use. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's, like, not the details. In my, I, I think that are really important. I think it's about, like, what are they trying to get gather by using this information? Yeah. And I think that the, the main important takeaways from this information are, 
they're going to harp on things that have some truth in them. So like you, so the, so the union organizers and workers can't just like outright, outright deny them. Um, they're going to use the misinformation to kind of map out the organizing committee and see where workers are, like or if they're supportive, if they're not supportive. And then the last thing is they're going to use it to compromise uh, any of the uh, stuff that the union organizers have said or the stuff that the workers know. So if the you know workers are organizing to say like hey like look we want to organize to you know get management to have a more like uh, like self reflective like you know procedures to like make sure we vet the right managers and there's a hiring process on those people they'll outright you know come back from the employer and say oh yeah like that stuff is never going to change or we heard about it and uh, you know the, the employer is going to change it now. So right, right. You know, that, that so, segues nicely into the next. Exactly, point. awesome. <laughs> you you did you did my job for me. I was going to segue us right into the to the to the give us another chance because that's exactly what you're kind of talking about. What the next part is. Um, so I'm I'm gonna not interrupt you anymore. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So like as you were saying, like this segues really nicely into the uh, um, give us another chance. So. The give us another chance is the opportunity for that for the employer to say, "Oh, we're so sorry. We didn't know that these things were happening. Um, we're going to try to fix them." But like the most efficient and fastest way to, for us to fix, fix things is by us doing it now, or like uh, getting rid of this union, and then we can just implement the changes tomorrow. And what they do is they've successfully like co-opted the organizing like election process, which is you know uh, if you file a union election part of the conditions of the union election is that things need to stay uh, in like laboratory conditions, which means that the employer can't like bribe people to like organize the union, uh, you know, to uh, vote against the union. The employer can also not threaten employees by saying, we're going to like close the shop. If we, um, if you organize a union, which they so, do anyway, right. they'll, they'll do that anyway. I mean, they, <laughs> yeah, they literally did that. They're like, like there was definitely talk, uh, of like, well, we're a small store. We probably don't mean a lot to the bigger corporation. They could probably just close our store if we were a union store. And then also like in the, in the bribing thing, like I remember specifically one of the things that they did was they went into our break room and they're like, oh wow, your microwave sucks. Oh, the, the, the little mini fridge isn't big enough to me. We, we, we actually went to the store. They actually said we went to the hardware store, but then we got a call from our, um, from our lawyers saying, oh, we can't buy this for you. And so they immediately are saying we would do this. We would do this, but it's your fault. You're ruining your own work conditions. And a fucking microwave in a mini fridge. I mean, what is that compared to like knowing that your wages aren't going to go down or having a guaranteed number of hours or making sure that your benefits actually get expanded to meet the cost of living in or, your area or like, having the ability to, to fight against like healthcare premium raises, which is what some of the yep. unions that we've been covering lately have been doing. Like yeah, absolutely. if, if your premiums go up, that's just, I mean, for a lot of people, especially during COVID, for a lot of Americans, your premiums going up is a death sentence. It's basically saying, like, look, if you have even a minor injury or you get sick with COVID or something else, like, you are going to run out of money. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, the, the give us another chance works so well because um, the employer is actually accurate where it's that it is they do have the agency to make the change in a snap of a finger. However, right. like if you like look, if you look closer into that is that if they have the power to make those decisions now, then why haven't they done it? Right. And that, and that, again, that goes back to why are you organize the union in the first place? If, if it's like, if, uh, if, just threatening to organize a union was enough for them to be like, oh, we could get you a microwave and a mini fridge. Think about what they would give us if we actually had collective bargaining power. Right. Right. Yes. And the fact that you're organizing a union because there is a problem in how decision-making happens and how, like, what happens in reality in the workplace. That's why you're even gotten here, you know? Right. Um, so... Uh, you know, the employer will also use it not only to apologize, they'll use it as just a straight out way of being aggressive and trying to like gaslight your coworkers and being like, oh man, like, why do we, or why do we even start organizing this union? They'll just get really uh, offended and they'll like, they'll like, and they'll like retaliate against people uh, by, you know, like I, seg like I was saying, seg segue into like the emotional manipulation stuff. 
which is they'll just outright say, how dare you organize this union? You didn't even right. let us know. Like, like I, we, we have worked so hard to make this like company and this job, like a family and you are, you know, <laughs> b- breaking up this family and you should feel terrible. And um, that's like, uh, I, I'm just imagining the old, like you wouldn't steal a car anti-piracy commercials, but it's like, you wouldn't unionize against your father. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a really common tactic actually in a lot of healthcare. Like, so a lot of the healthcare networks, um, uh, are, you know, the uh, sponsor or like paid for and sponsored through the churches. So like St. Joe, Joseph, um, that right. whole hospital network is like, you know, sponsored through, I believe part of the Catholic church and for, uh, decades, their union. You wouldn't organize against God. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like you came into this job as a nurse through like a religious, like a religious calling. And you, this is a mission, and the mission is not about monetary gains in the mortal world. It's about your commitment to religion and commitment to God. Wow! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, pay so no attention to the giant bags of money behind the curtain. Like, <laughs> right. that's so deranged. And then to like pose it as like, oh, this is a, like a religious journey, so you should be okay with suffering in order to help other people, even when it can be easily avoided. Is just like. Uh, such a high order of psychotic right. who is, explanation. Who is causing the suffering here? Because clearly this this goes almost back to the give us another chance if they were able to like um, re- better some of these conditions. Like, doesn't that make them the causers of the suffering? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the, you know, the beauty of the give us another chance, not beauty, but the, uh, the like objective of the give us another chance and what makes it work, what makes it such an efficient tactic is that it also stalls the organizing. It like, it creates like a, like a gap in the momentum of organizing. So workers are organizing, they're talking to each other. There's a lot of like escalation. They're like really excited about having a union and like talking to the coworkers and I, you know, thinking about what they want to change in the workplace. The give us another chance creates like that fork in the road for them. So yeah, you right. can continue organizing a union or you can, you know, uh, like actually like test the company's commitment and like see if they're actually willing to make those changes quicker. Oh, wait, those- this is the worst game of deal or no deal I've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, what they, they'll also do in that case, they'll say, oh, but you can always have an election next year, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. gross. Yeah, because they they like oh if you give us give us a year because literally what they do is they want to post they want to like prolong this process of not having a union as long as possible preferably well, yeah. into infinity for them. Well, because if you're building up organizing momentum, then you have X amount of power based on like how well organized you and your coworkers are. A year from now, that could easily be shattered, but the company is still going to be in charge of the company, so their position doesn't change at all. Yes, and uh, Alina, do you remember what Guitar Center did when they said about pulling the election? Do you remember like how they talked about that? Um, I I remember I remember a lot more about when they were talking about decertification afterwards. Um, that, but like it's that I guess during the captive audience meetings there was there was like talk of you have to wait a whole year to even see if the union can do anything for you, and they like kind of like put it on the other like the. Again, I don't think that that's what you're getting at, though. So it, no, uh, no, it's close. It's yeah, yes, it's that right. For one year, you know, the employer has the time to try to negotiate a contract with the union and the workers. Um, but uh, like I said, they're going to use the, their their position is that well, we can make changes as soon as this union election's over. So one thing that's really common as a stalling tactic is they'll say, you know, to the workers, pull your union election. You know, like go to the National Labor Relations Board and tell them that you want to like not have the election, and then we're going to make those changes. And if we don't make those changes, then six months later you can file the election again because we didn't honor our commitment. Um, what do you think happens during that six months before you could file for another union election? It's exactly what happened when we even got the union election. We actually had pro-union people get fired. We had a severe retaliation where people who were pro-union had strict rules like literally handed down to them we had a a disabled worker who needed to a seat 
but um, was struggling to get to the doctor to get the perfect doctor's note to satisfy the company. And they ba- they basically kept making it so that he had to, to stand when it was very difficult for him. And then... So at the point, it got to a point where he was so stressed by this this kind of horrible working conditions that he quit. Like that, that's what they do. They basically force people to quit, or they fire them. They find ways to fire them. This reminds me. I was listening about um, the the um, no evil foods um, in uh, uh, drive. And how basically someone was fired for wearing the wrong kind of pants, which they were literally like they had worn every single like at least once a week for the two or three years that they had been there. Uh, I mean, like they'll find any reason to fire you. Yeah. And that's one of the dangers of at will employment is it's like they can fire you for not for for being pro union and say it was for wearing the wrong kind of pants or shoes or like not dropping something in the appropriate drop box or whatever other tiny little work related thing they've decided is a good reason. I don't don't mean to like correct you, but that they'll try to do that whether you have a union or not. And the thing about having a union is that you have a little bit of recourse. Right. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, yeah, and like right now, I mean, as far as excuses to lay off or fire workers right now is that the coronavirus, while it also poses like a really amazing organizing opportunity because workers can now really see like the gross inadequacies of like how like U.S. like labor is managed like in all companies. Um, right. It's also like the best scapegoat to fire people. You know, uh, you know, every, a lot there've been a lot of attempts to organize and newsrooms, restaurants, food production, healthcare right now, and the amount of people being laid off uh, because of, you know, the, how, how the economy is struggling. Um, every, you know, you can be laid off for a coronavirus even though you were an active union organizer, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like the, the, the climate right now for having any excuse to fire people who are outspoken at the job, um, you know, that, that, that's like, there's like that increased threat right now. Um, I don't say that to discourage people from organizing. I think organizing is incredibly important. And right now, um, you know, this country and the world could use a lot more of it. Um, I think that after, within the Give Us Another Chance, they, you know, the employer is constantly, even with misinformation as well, using the emotional manipulation and emotional appeal to uh, connect with people. And as I said earlier, it's about using that relationship uh, with your coworkers or the relationship the employer has with the workers to exploit them and to make them feel uh, bad about organizing a union, either hopeless or make them feel like they're 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 doing something that's uh, against the law or makes them a bad person. And um, especially now with coronavirus, I feel like not only do employers have a tactic to uh, just like fire outspoken people. By saying, oh, you know, like those people we had to fire, you know, even though they were union organizers, you know, it's just, uh, it's, you know, it's a really hard time. We have, a, you know, 10% staff reductions, you know, all kinds of bull crap. Um, they also could use, they're also using the coronavirus as a way of, you know, uh, guilt tripping and making workers feel bad. That like during a time where, you know, people are dying because of this incredibly infectious virus. Uh, how could you possibly be wanting to organize a union right now? How dare you want to not make line go up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's the thing, but it's like the exact same thing that they are trying to spin is like, oh, this is why you shouldn't be organizing is like the biggest impetus to organize that really could have happened in the United States, you know, in, in the last year or so. Like, it, people, it's like you said, like the, the, the flaws are glaring. People are not receiving PPE. People are getting laid off in mass. Unemployment isn't working. Um, people are, are risking their lives just to be at, you know, nine, eight, seven dollar an hour jobs. And it's just not, you know, it's not worth it for them, but there's no other opportunities. So people are finally starting to realize like, maybe the best way to handle this is for us to get together, uh, obviously not in person right now, but to get together and have some kind of collective power against our employers. And that also makes me wonder, um, do you think there's, there's like the conditions in the United States right now for there to be like a, like a broader union movement, maybe not like an IWW one big union kind of thing, but just like a, a, a heightened, uh, level of coordination between different labor organizing bodies? 
Yes, I think that uh, I have seen, uh, like, within my networks of, like, organizers in New York, uh, like, very earnest efforts to bring uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and environmental justice movements, like, very into, like, tying it into the labor movement. So a lot of work that went on prior to the coronavirus on the Green New Deal. Uh, there are unions who are committed to, like seeing like seeing how that work will play out, especially in the transportation okay. side of the world. Um, I think that until like you know, I mean, the people have been saying this forever, but until the you know unions uh, operate on a larger scale, like in a, in in coalition with a movement around social mm-hmm. justice issues and committed to social justice issues, uh, that is where they will like organize the most widely and de- and deeply and right. people will like, you know, people want to commit to social change and they want to like, you know, stand next to people who have a vision and do, and, you know, and, and making that happen. Um, people are also angry. They're very, very angry. People are very, very desperate right now. They're hurting. And like one of the only ways of finding hope is by collectively standing with someone, you know, you feel a lot right. better being next to someone in the dark than you do alone in the dark, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's so many like racial justice issues happening right now. We're looking down the barrel of a a wave of evictions. Like they could evict like tens of millions of Americans from their homes pretty soon. So the levels of like outrage and, and the levels of like knowing something needs to be done and, and people like really looking out at what their options are and, and seeing different ways they can band together. I am hopeful that that gives us the the fuel that we need for like a really successful uh, like labor movement and just like broader uh, social movement in the United States. What do you think the effect of the mass evictions uh, could potentially be on what the labor movement looks like going forward? Well, so you know, I know in some unions uh, where the bosses have to you know institute layoffs. Uh, labor unions have historically done like solidarity funds where every Mm -hmm. member who gets to keep their job contributes like, you know, $10 towards a fund to make sure that, you know, the laid off workers can, you know, have their healthcare paid for, or be able to have some type of, you know, strike fund to be able to like, well, not a strike fund, but like a, um, like a support fund to make sure Mm -hmm. that they, those workers, those laid off workers can, you know, buy groceries and stuff like that. So Imagine if unions consider like pooling, you know, their members' monies together to do stuff like that. Um, if that that's like, you know, that will so that that's where people will feel like actually in unity with each other. Um, right. And also, like I think for a long time now, you know, ever since Reagan, you know, we hear about in the news and we see what's going on, you know, with these times of austerity measures and you know the the elite and the people who like rot the financial, like, you know, Titans of the world continue to, you know, extract wealth from working class people, but then also blame working class people for all the problems, like the housing market crisis, uh, even coronavirus, you know, is like, yeah. I feel like just another opportunity for rich people to blame poor people. Um, Unions are institutions that support and are built by working class people. So if they're, if we're not fighting and especially in a time right now, if like unions are not like actively fighting bosses currently, I don't know what distinguishes them from like a, like a charity organization or like, right. a, or like a, you know, like a nonprofit. Like it's just, it just, it's not, it's not, a union if it's not fighting, you know, that's just my, my, my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, that makes sense to me. Just like having a union, a unity of purpose and like a clarity of what the point of the union is and really pursuing that instead of letting it become something that doesn't anymore follow the aims, you know, that it once espoused. Um, and then that also, you know, that gives anti-union people, ammunition to be like, oh, look, such and such union doesn't really do what it says it's supposed to do, which doesn't invalidate the, you know, the point of like, if they did what they were supposed to do, they would, it would be fantastic. The principles of, of unions are still 
very much unaffected by that kind of argument. Yeah. Yes. And like what you know what what uh, what Alina was saying earlier. Um, I think that <clears throat> right now, uh, take you know prison abolition and defund the police, and you know mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, abolish ICE. Take these as like platforms, and then you know consider like how it directly intersects with labor. You know, right. it's like. Uh, the labor unions who are not thinking in the movement or who are not movement oriented are going to say, well, those prison guards, those police officers, those uh, ICE officers are all federal employees and they have a union and like we need to protect those jobs. Right. It's like the, that's how you end up in the situation where like the biggest police unions in the United States are affiliated with the AFL-CIO. Sure. Sure. And like, you know, you and you want to be like a good unionist by like, protecting those jobs. Um, alternatively, though, is like if they're thinking critically within like how the, where they're where they're placed within like state oppression and uh, like like you know uh, cops for decades now have been like the leaders of strike. They lead strike breaks. You know they break strikes. You know like that's what they yeah. do. So like that is also like not in solidarity with like a, a labor movement, and um, there is a place for those unions to be critical and to like you know disband or to like re- repurpose their workers and to think about and like you know rethink of like uh, how how they do that work. It happens all the time with it, with the innovation. You know, right. we we allow whole industries of workers to be. Uh, totally laid off and totally eradicated because of innovations. But when it comes to social justice, uh, we, we refuse as a labor movement to reconsider what uh, a laid off or uh, fired police officer would do as far as work goes. Um, well, I mean, and- that is such a glaring disparity, isn't it? It's like, you know, it, the corporate bosses and the capitalists can decide that such and such industry doesn't have room for workers anymore. And like specialized, skilled, trained workers can be pushed out of that arena and forced to find other ways to work. But it's like a bridge too far for union organizers in many cases to feel comfortable saying like, "Mm, maybe these department of defense contracts are not good. Actually, maybe we shouldn't defend police unions uh, because they are actually contrary to labor. You know, that's a, that's a difficult thing to, to say and get taken seriously in the United States, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's like, you need to actually like, you know, think about what a prison actually is now, you know, a prison Mm -hmm. isn't where, uh, you know, uh, people who don't belong in society, like are, are, belong. Prisons are places where people who broken laws, laws that are, you know, in many ways very, ra- like, you know, racist and uh, discriminatory. So, you know, you're, you, you basically lock up these people because they break uh, laws that are developed, you know, established by the ruling class. And then you make them work for free. And then they, yeah. they prov- and in, in turn, they actually, they're actually, uh, like, in a way, killing jobs that like other people would be doing in a factory or a warehouse. When you think right. about the food that gets packaged in prisons or the genes that get sewn in prisons, uh, those were, you know, 30 years ago, those were jobs. Those were like actual jobs that people made a living and live somewhere. So, right. um, you know, like, I think thinking broadly as a labor movement, like if a union that represents uh, the interests of the ruling class and the bosses if they become uh, like parasitic or like uh, like they, they have like a like a symbi- symbiotic relationship with one another, mm-hmm. then I question I question their ability to actually advocate like entirely for their membership and actually fight their boss. Right. Um, they've basically been transferred and like transformed into like an HR department. Yeah, so, it's like a conflict of interest on, in the most glaring way possible yeah we were talking about this in the context of union busting and i was saying earlier that uh you know the last thing that bosses do and they you know in employers and union busters will you will, will use is emotional appeal and that is you know or manipulation and that is to really convince someone that not only is this not good for them i mean that's mis- misinformation but also 
um, use the personal relationships they have with their coworkers, with people outside of the plant or the workplace to make them feel like that organizing a union uh, will hurt more people than just themselves. Right. And, you know, some tactics that, you know, employers have used. Um, I believe Verizon historically, or maybe it was AT&T, I forget which company it was, uh, sent videotapes to their employees' houses so their families could watch. Like, basically, an executive tell them why organizing a union would be bad for their families and their children. What? What kind so, of... Der- that's such psycho shit. I've never heard of anything like that. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, obviously, like, I wish uh, Alina was available right now, but uh, if you're able to speak with her, she she firsthand got to see some of the most... one Some of the worst crap that I've ever seen uh, her, the union buster that like was in her workplace uh, told one of the anti-workers to like stage them to like cry and all the captive audience meetings mm-hmm. and tell people that if they had to join a union and she had to pay union dues, that her dog would die. What? Oh my God. Cause she would be you able know- to pay for the medication for her dog. I think I vaguely remember that because Lena and I were roommates at the time that this was happening, but there were just so many horror stories about the the union buster guy that they sent there that like I think they all kind of bled together. Um yeah, that's that's incredible. That's some that's some totally insane insane shit. Yeah, you know, and the the the, the distinction between what a union buster and what the employer will do versus what, you know, how you build your union is the beginning of the union organizing process stems from personal relationships. You have with your coworkers. That's Mm -hmm. where you have camaraderie. You have like an identity with one another and you have community, but the union actually is about building power. If that's what it's, that's what it's about. It has nothing to do with your personalities. Uh, I've seen some incredibly awesome unions, uh, like, for example, like in New York City, like Local 100 for the Transport Workers Union is the biggest, like one of the biggest public sector, like transportation unions in the country. Uh, and I will tell you, not every member likes each other. <laughs> there are, you know, <laughs> there are huge personal strifes. There are people who are, you know, a- avid socialists. There are people who are uh, vocal Trump supporters. But right. all of them work together in a union together because they have power and they have really kick-ass jobs because they, uh, you know, organize and have power with one another. Now, as far as the Trump supporters, I think they're, you know, that calls for some type of like large scale, like internal education program. But anyway, um, (laughs) all I'm trying to say is that like the power that union busters and employers use on employees, all of that, all the tactics can be de- de- debunked. And as long as, you know, like workers really want a union and want to like, and they believe like ideologically and they're committed to like seeing in real life, like the, like how much better things will be when you work collectively. Um, that, that is like how you, that's how you gain power. Yeah. And I mean, that's really awesome because I think a lot of people do lose sight of the fact that this is really just about like how much power do we have versus how much power the company that we work for has over us. And, you know, I think a lot of people do get caught up in the idea that like a union is a cool club or it's like uh, a strictly political weapon or something like that. And, you know, in reality, it's just like it's a tool for making the workplace more democratic. Yeah. That's Definitely. awesome. Well, I think that's probably a pretty good place to wrap up for today. Uh, before we were on Mike, uh, we were you were spitballing that maybe we would have you back on in a couple of weeks and you could bring a couple of workers with you to share their stories and stuff. Totally, yes. We could um, maybe when uh, Lena gets back, we could sit down and like schedule that. But yeah, I could definitely you know we could definitely put together some type of an event, or some type of like uh, additional podcast. I think it'd be awesome. Awesome. Well, that's really great. And then uh, I guess before I let you go, do you have anything you want to plug or promote? Any unions you think deserve some special attention or anything like that? Um, I'm just, I'll say three things. Uh, one, I'm really impressed with some of the work that's coming out of the News Guild, out of CWA. 
Uh, they are running really, really great organizing drives, and uh, they have been very vocal as far as like their position on defunding the police and police abolition and you know police reform in some cases. But like, I just think like their their membership is really like stepping up in really great ways during this time. Uh, and I think they're a pretty good example to go to. Um, I will also say that there's a really awesome partnership that's like blooming between the uh, United uh, Electric workers you e- 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 oh no the union of electricians sorry uh okay ue and um the dsa democratic social america uh they are been doing the essential worker organizing committee work in uh different parts of the country and i think like that has been really interesting i think the vision behind trying to get people who are working during the pandemic and, you know, organizing them around, you know, being agitated about what's going on with the pandemic, plus having to go to work and, you know, go to work without PPE or uh, without Mm -hmm. hazard pay. Uh, I think these are like critical issues to be organizing around. Um, And the last one I will do is a shameless plug, which is uh, the right Share drivers United. I believe that they are doing some of the best organizing I've seen in like my time organizing. And I think that, they are, if they're able to, you know, fight back this battle initiative that Uber and Lyft are paying $120 million for, uh, this will probably be like the, like, this is like the biggest, like, David and Goliath story I've seen, at least in like my lifetime organizing. And yeah. I think that, um, you know, they have the, there's a potential in California for RDU to organize the largest union probably in the country. If you know, That's there's amazing. probably half a million Uber driver, Uber and Lyft drivers in California. And, yeah, uh, and it's a it's such a pivotal industry for labor because it's one where workers are so routine. I mean, they're not even considered employees most of the time in in gig economy jobs. So that's, I mean, that's striking right at the heart of the the issues in the United States right now. Right. That's awesome. All right. Well, I look forward to having you back on and and following up with you. And thank you so much for for coming on the show. Yeah, anytime, John. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah, to our listeners, uh, Lena had to run off. She had to take care of some very important business, but she'll be back with me on the next episode. This has been Work Stoppage. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash workstoppage. Remember to follow us on Twitter at SolidarityB and at Facebook Villain. And you know the rest. Leave us a review or something. (laughs) 